Well, we're looking at uh, Revelation chapter 2, and um, a few short verses starting in verse 8. We should be done in about 15 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my. Funny, huh? So, verse 8 says, and, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the, the first and the last who was dead and who has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Wow. That doesn't sound very Western church-oriented these days, does it? No. I mean, I thought we were to get big jets and, you know, I thought we were to... Live long and prosper. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, you know, isn't that what we hear? Isn't that what seems to permeate a lot of the quote-unquote gospel that we seem to gather from a lot of pulpits around, the, around our country today? Give and you'll get, you know, prosperity, bless me, name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it, right? All of that good stuff. And yet this flies in the face of all of, all of that. Kind of a unique, uh, you don't hear Smyrna talk, preached a lot, do you? <laughs> I'm not talking about Smyrna, Tennessee either. But you know, when you think about Smyrna, Smyrna, you know, is actually a beautiful a beautiful place, a beautiful city. Um, it was a proud city. As I mentioned a while ago, it was um, you know, established in around the 11th century B.C. Around the 7th century B.C., it really became more popular. Fourth century began to just explode with growth. Um, it was a, a cultural center. It was a, uh, a trade center. It was, there was so much that, that took place. Uh, in this this area, it was kind of uh, nestled at the mouth of, um, of of an entrance where a trade happened, so a lot of people gathered there. Um, but it was also a, 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 a kind of had a deep, rich history uh, committed to idolatry. It had many temples. Uh, matter of fact, I think it was in the in the um, seventh, it might have been the fourth century. I'm trying to remember. I, I read, I read a lot of history, and I'm thinking, man, we could do a history lesson, but that would take you know weeks. But um, you know, one of the first temples to to, I think it was Athena was in the fourth century, or seventh century. Sorry, seventh century. And so, but then they had all these other you know temples, temples to. Sabel and Apollo and uh, Aphrodite and the great temple of Zeus and you know uh, one of one famous street in Smyrna was called the Golden Street you know and and, and just just magnificent beauty and beautiful architect it was amazing of course at the same time it also went through a lot of war I mean know that when when there's mighty wealth and and um, Riches to be told as nations rise and fall, other nations come in and try to proclaim the area. And so this went through various uh, groups of people. And uh, the Romans, the Romans kind of took over and it was a, a, a huge, it, it, 
it was unique because Smyrna was the first big city to actually build a temple to what they called Dia Roma, which would be basically the goddess of Rome. And it was here in Smyrna that, that not, because of, not because of the Roman leaders or emperors or uh, enforcing this, but they initiated worship of the leaders of Rome. They initiated it. They started it there. Um, so it was kind of a, uh, you know, a, like I said, a, a very pagan society. Isn't it amazing that in the midst of this, Christianity is birthed? <laughs> you know, in, um, it says AD 23, Smyrna won the privilege of, of over 11 cities to build the first temple to worship the emperor Tiberius Caesar. Isn't that crazy? So in all of this, all of this struggle, all of this infighting and taking over, here is where is established a mighty church. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Come on, right? I mean, when you think of the, the, the church of Smyrna, one is Smyrna um, literally comes from a, a word that means myrrh. Uh, it's considered the, the, the martyr church, the martyr church, because of the, the great persecution that was felt in this area. So, so here's Jesus speaking to a people. And I don't know if you understand, the, the, the word Smyrna also um, comes from an ancient word talking about myrrh. And we understand what myrrh is, right, y'all? And they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was uh, uh, an incense used for embalming and burying people. Um, and then the idea that that to actually get the fragrance out of myrrh, you literally had to crush it. And so here is the Lord speaking to the crushed church, if you will, the church that literally is the aroma of death, the aroma of martyrism. And he's saying to them, I'm the first and the last. Wow. You know, uh, when I think of that title, first and the last, I, I li literally have to go back to, you know, here is Jesus also uh, giving him this revelation in Revelation chapter 1 and 11, Revelation chapter 1 and 17. We, he identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And, and, and then I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 44, actually chapter 41, verse 4, chapter 44, verse 6, and but 44.6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I love that. I am the first, and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. Come on, right? I mean, he, He's declaring who He is. He's identifying that, hey, uh, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, God and His Son, I am the first and last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And can you imagine the, the encouragement that gives to a people who are being burdened by persecution? To recognize that God was here in the beginning and he will be with me in the end. Amen? He's basically stating to them, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have been with you from the beginning. I will be with you in the end. Man, that's a, that's a comfort to know that through my trial, through my suffering, that the Lord is with me. Amen. Amen. Who was dead and came to life. Jesus, I believe, chose these titles for his his appearance to help them understand, to remind Christians in Smyrna that they serve a risen Savior. What's that old song? I serve a risen Savior, right? <laughs> See, not all of y'all is Baptists. Y'all don't know all that. 
He lives, he lives, when Jesus lives today. Come on. Amen. So y'all got that. So he's reminding them that, hey, I was, I was dead, but I came to life. Romans 1.18, I'm sorry, Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. I have the keys to death and hell. Think about that. Man, powerful statements made to this church. The association with death, I mean, to think about it, and the victory of resurrection is, is really all throughout this, this whole letter. And, and the name, like I said, Smyrna literally means myrrh, a sweet-smelling perfume used in, in embalming the bodies crushed. Revelation 2 and 9 says, what? It says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but, and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I know your works. You know, Jesus told the church of Ephesus, I know your works, right? There in 2, chapter 2, um, two chapter 2, verse 2. And, um, and Smyrna, he, he's, he says, I know your works. And then he says, tribulation and poverty. He knows these hardships, both in the sense that he saw what happened to them, and then in the sense that he knew what their hardships was like. He had also suffered. He had also uh, been persecuted from personal, his own personal experience. He understood them. To think of poverty, according to, to history, as we discussed, I mean, look, Smyrna was a prosperous area. It was a prosperous city. And yet here... The Christians, they're in poverty. And really the word that's used for poverty is, is a word of abject poverty. They were in destitute. They, they, they didn't have anything. They were not just poor. These guys understood political persecution. They understood economic persecution. Political po- persecution because... Uh, as the Romans came in and, and as the worship of these emperors and as the worship of Rome itself became the focus, anything else other than that became a political issue. Matter of fact, it was, it was stated in the history of Smyrna that they began, if, if, if somebody... Every year, this, this had to be done, kind of like a, an offering given to the Lord every year. Every year, they had to take a pinch of incense and burn it and say, Caesar's Lord. Every year, that had to be a tradition for them to continue to gain access. It's kind of like a mark of the beast that we might think of today, to gain access to the political system, to gain access to the store, to gain access to the 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 benefits of the community, you had to declare your uh, sovereign, uh, that, that the Caesar was Lord. Can you imagine that? If we had to say the president is Lord before we could have access to the grocery store, before we could own property, we might be getting close. <laughs> But that was, the, that was the, the persecution that they were going uh, under. And then, and then because of, of the political persecution became the economic persecution. They were robbed. They were fired from their jobs in persecution because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, 34 says, Joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. That's, that's it, it's, it's hard for us to grasp in our mentality. But just think of, of in Iran, 
how, how many Christians were persecuted and how many, I mean, literally, the, I don't know if you guys realize, in Iran, there were over, there were over 150,000 Christians. But now that population has dwindled rapidly just in the last 10 years, the persecution. I mean, when you think of even in the history of Smyrna, in 1922, there was a major population of, of Greeks and Armenians and even Turks living in the same community. But in 1922, there was a mass genocide that took place. Now, the Turks deny it. Turkey denies it even to this day, but eyewitnesses say that the Turks came in and set afire the communities of the Greek and Armenians in a fire that burned for nine days. It's estimated that over 100,000 people died, a genocide that took place in 1922. I'm not talking about ancient. I'm talking about modern-day history. Over 200,000 left that area. I don't know that we grasp persecution. I don't know that we grasp the understanding of, of what these societies, that even today in modern history, Christians in Muslim nations go through. Wow. I know the blasphemy says. Jesus knew the abuses that these Christians endured and at the hands of quote-unquote religious men. Those who say they are Jews who are really not. You know, we, we grasp this that the Jews were, they were hostile towards Christian, Christianity. We get that. Um, I think that if we kind of reference Philippians 3 and 3, we kind of see where um, identifying true Jews as those who were of faith, right? Not necessarily of the seed of Abraham. Even though I recognize that the Jewish nation has a special place in the heart of God. But these were... These were probably Jews ethnically, but not spiritually before God. Because even spiritual Jews before God understood the Ten Commandments, right? Even they grasp loving your neighbor. I know. That's the words he says. I know. In the midst of this kind of affliction, it's easy to, to think God has forgotten but I'm glad that Jesus says, I know. Because no matter what we go through, no matter what pain or heartache or struggle we go through, Jesus can truly say, I know. <laughs> and, and what he declares is, is, this is what Jesus thinks of Smyrna. Now, everybody else looks at them as poor. But Jesus says, but you are rich. <laughs> Aren't you glad? I mean, it might look like the outward, outward circumstances declared them as poor, and, and in that sense, they were even destitute. But Jesus saw through their circumstances. Jesus saw through their situation and says, you're really rich, sweet-smelling Smyrna, the poorest of the purest of the seven, right? I mean, when you think about it, Smyrna is the only continuing church of the seven. Isn't that amazing? He didn't deliver them. I ain't, I'm jumping ahead. Whoops. <clears throat> I mean, why were they rich? Why were they rich? They had Jesus. <laughs> they had Jesus. You know, I think that too many times our estimation of ourselves is far less important than God's estimation of us. Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Sometimes we think too poorly of ourselves. But ultimately, what matters most is what does God think about you? And I can truly say that, as his word says, I know the thoughts that I think 
towards you, right? <laughs> when you look at this, it's kind of in contrast to the to the church of Laodicea who who <laughs> who was poor, who was a kind of a poor rich church. You know, they thought they were rich, but they're really poor. And here's Smyrna was a rich poor church. <laughs> You know, in reality, I think that riches become an obstacle to the kingdom of God. Riches come, become an obstacle to our walking in sincere faith. I mean, you, you look in Mark chapter 10, and, and he, he tells the story of, of a, a rich man, how it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to enter, enter through the eye of the needle, Right? And we, stories of the rich young ruler who, who was able to do certain parts of the law, but then when it come to selling all that he had, his riches was his obstacle, an inability to serve the Lord. Now, we understand that, is it wrong to have riches? No. What's wrong is when riches has us. When it is the goal of our life, when we, it becomes the clamor of everything we've got to do. I've got to work this, I've got to do that because i just got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have. And so when riches has us, it becomes the problem. I mean, thinking of this church, I mean, they were rich in leadership. One of the greatest leaders of the early church was Polycarp, who was a direct disciple of the Apostle John, who... Um, wrote many works and, and uh, impacted a lot of people. Matter of fact, I think if you, if you follow any of the early church fathers and enjoy reading some of that, like Arrhenius and St. Saint, uh, Saint Ignatius, uh, St. Ignatius actually communicated a lot with Polycarp, and it was Arrhenius that was considered probably someone from Smyrna who was, a direct, was directly underneath Polycarp. And, and so... So they had great leadership, great foundation, great truths. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, there was a story told of, of one of the popes of the Renaissance times, and he was walking with one of the locals, and they were marveled at the splendor and the riches of the Vatican. And the pope told him, he says, we no longer have to say to uh, like Peter to the lame man, silver and gold have I none. And the man looked at him and said, yeah, but, yeah, but we can also neither say rise up and walk. Wow. We wonder why we don't see the power of God any longer. Is it because we have become so rich in culture and rich in society that we are no longer dependent and submitted to the Lord? That if the Lord told us to do something, would we say, man, I'm not, would we be like the rich young ruler? No, I'm not sure, Lord, I can do that. I don't know that I can give that up. I don't know that I can let loose of that, God. I'm sorry, I went to preaching. I'm supposed to be teaching. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, about to throw some of you into prison. But you may be, that you may be tested, and you, will, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The, the word says, be, do not be afraid. It, it, it literally means stop being afraid. Is it valid? Would you be afraid if you were under that type of persecution? Probably. I mean, we, we would definitely be concerned of where's the next meal coming from, how we're going to make it, you know, when all the jobs have gone away because of, of our proclamation of, who we are. You know, the crazy thing is, is that these, and I don't say crazy thing, the, the, 
dynamite thing, I guess, the, that these folks were unwilling to do is they were unwilling to take the incense and burn it and say Caesar's Lord. That's all it would have taken. All they had to do, just take a pinch of incense. How, how big is that? That's not big. Just burn a little incense and say Caesar's Lord. It all would have went away. It all could have just disappeared, but they were unwilling to do that because they knew who Jesus is. Amen? And so Jesus tells them, stop being afraid. The Christians, I mean, here they, they've suffered under persecution. They, were, they had to be afraid. They, you could imagine, I mean, unless you're just a superhuman or something, I mean, you appreciate the depths of their fear. You appreciate the struggle that they had. You understood it. And the Lord's saying, stop, stop being afraid. There were things which, I mean, this is, there were things that they were about to suffer. Jesus wanted them to, to be ready to stand against those things. And that's the Western dilemma that we have. I mean, even in, even in our Protestant faith, we all proclaim, we're going to leave this world before there's going to be any trials or tribulations. Did he do it for them? We're going to be raptured before it happens. Did he do it for them? I mean, if you look at Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 3 and following, if you look at, uh, I'm sorry, that's Mark chapter 13. If you look at Matthew chapter 24, 3 and following, I mean, there, there, there's some rough things going to happen. Proclaiming the end of times. And it says, this is what it says, two times in Matthew 24 and one time in Mark, it says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, I'm not trying to mess up your theology or mine, but I am saying this. Are you able to suffer if we're not raptured before it happens? Are you ready to understand that you may go through the severity and is your faith able to stand like our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, like our brothers and sisters in our Iran and Iraq, even in Turkey and in India or, or Indonesia. Are we able? Are we willing? The Almighty quiet. Amen. It goes against the prosperity movement of our day. It, it, it literally, it, it, it's almost ab, abhorrent to hear so many talk about, you know, their Rolexes and all this stuff. It, it really drives me crazy. And, and I know, guys, I, I'm, I'm probably on the other side of that spectrum where I don't preach on tithe enough. I probably don't preach the, uh, about the principles of tithe and the benefits of tithe and all those things. I get it because I, I don't want to ever give the idea that you give to get. I don't ever want to put off the, un, with this idea that, that, uh, that you, because you give, will have every one of your needs met. Because I can't read this scripture and be honest and say that. Because it just might be that you suffer. It just might be that you lose your job. It just might be that we become pers the persecuted church. And are we able to handle that? It goes on and says, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. Now, we understand the enemy doesn't like us, right? The devil's about to do this. <laughs> Here's Jesus uh, described the nature of the persecution that would come against the Christians in Smyrna. Uh, 
apparently they would be imprisoned, and, and, and he gives the specific time. Of course, there's different views on the specific time. But according to Jesus, the persecution about to come against them was from the devil. Mm-hmm. Surely the devil wanted to imprison them for a long time. He wanted to squelch their voice. He wanted to eliminate them from the, from the equation. But then there's this time frame, tribulation, 10 days. I mean, being thrown into prison is not like, um, is not like our meeting three these days in our prisons, right? Uh, it's not like going to, to prison and cable TV and three meals. What do they say? Uh, uh, three hots and a cot. I mean, to, to go to prison in this era was not anything about rehabilitation. It was, it was a time... It wasn't even really a time of punishment. It was being thrown into prison as you awaited a trial for execution. It was a rot. Exactly. So for a man to become a Christian in this particular time and in this particular era was literally become an outlaw, to become an outlaw. For a man to enter the Christian church was literally to take his own life in his hands. Smyrna, the church, was a place for heroes because literally they were taking their life in their hands to walk in to the church. This tribulation doesn't mean that the common trials which... I don't know, man. It, it, it's funny because we, we bear it in our soul thinking, oh, God, you know, the enemy's just attacking me. I've got a cold. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like bearing the cross of Calvary. I'm sick for a day or two. But to imagine what they went through. the Wow. Some of the... You know, there's a different, multiple different views of what 10 days looks like, you know. Um, some looked at it as a literal 10 days or, or just a statement of it's just for a time, just for, you know, just for a season. Others kind of looked at it uh, denoting 10 years. A ten years of persecution. And understanding that it was during this persecution that, that the Apostle John was sent to the Isle of Patmos under Domitian, I think that's how you pronounce it. And then again, there's others who look at the ten years as through ten Roman emperors. And if you look at the 10 Roman emperors that, starting with Nero through, it was a very hard time for all of Christianity. There was Nero, Domitian, Trajan, Adrian, um, Septimus Severus, I don't know if that's the severe seven. <laughs> Maximum, diocese, Valerian, uh, Aurelian, and uh, Diocletian. All these were ones from, from AD 54 all the way through AD 80, 284. You can imagine, you know, can you imagine 300 years? or 200 years of absolute persecution of the faith. But you know, isn't it amazing that it is in the ground of persecution that's planted the seeds of Christianity and, and how that, that Christianity grew so rapidly 
couldn't be squelched, couldn't be put out. And in, in, in reality, the more it seems that they were persecuted, the more Christianity seemed to grow. Powerful. Powerful. It goes on and says that you may be tested. We don't like that. Can we just delete that? Can't do it, right? Not a dot nor a tittle. <laughs> that you may be tested. If this attack came from the devil, then why couldn't these Christians just say, we rebuke you, get behind me, Satan? <laughs> that, that should have worked, right? Maybe it's because God had a purpose in their suffering. Maybe it's because God allowed this time. God used suffering to purify the church. When you think of, of all that, I mean, we, we live in, I don't, we are in a polytheistic society. I mean, we, there's definitely the beliefs in other gods in our society. But there are dominant religions. You know, there's Muslim, there's Hinduism, Christianity. You know, there, there are definite religions. But in, in the society of Roman culture, the, the idea of um, idolatry was so profound. I mean, this is definitely a, purif a purification process. This is definitely a time where you, you, you believe in me or not. You know, you trust me or not. Basically, if you look at 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, it, it talks about that, that suffering is the purification process. And, 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 and maybe it makes us like Jesus, Romans chapter 8 and 7. If you suffer with me, you will also glory uh, with me. Right? It makes us truly witnesses of him. In all ages, the blood of the martyrs has been the seed of the church. It's always been that the church continues to grow through martyrism. The thing is, is that the saints of Smyrna hadn't, they hadn't been given the pep talk, right? They haven't been, you know, hey, you got this, how to win friends and influence people, right? They, they haven't been given the, these wonderful, uh, how faith made me this in this season. They weren't promised deliverance from tribulation. They wasn't promised deliverance from their poverty or their or whatever situation. In fact, really the worst was really ahead. They may be tested. Tested. Another word for tested is to be proven. Through their sufferings, God displayed the true riches of the church of Smyrna in every one of them. Through their stand in faith, through it all. God showed how rich they really were in Him. Only the church, as I said, it's the only church that, that literally, out of the seven, that has survived even to this day. Through centuries of Roman uh, occupation and Muslim persecution, the church stands. They may be tested, but they've proven well right? <clears throat> Look, we may not have the opportunity to, we may or may not have the opportunity to suffer in the manner that Smyrna did, but I believe that we should live as a martyr every day. We should live, if everyone took into mindset that this could be my last day, how would we live? If everyone took into mindset that I might not have another day to share the love of God or to, or to share what God has put into my heart. How would that differ? How would we raise our children? How would we communicate with our coworkers? How would that change? Amen. 
It says, uh, it goes on, it says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What Jesus said to the church is, is super important, but what he didn't say was also very important. Jesus didn't have a single word of rebuke for the church of Smyrna. He had nothing bad to say. He promises them a crown. Now, to think of a crown, th this is the, there's two different words for crown. There's one uh, described as the crown that a king wears, a, a crown of royalty. But then there's another kind of crown, the, the Stephano, Stephanos. And that's used here. It's kind of like a crown given a, a trophy when you've won as an athlete. And so here he is. He's saying, look, you are my winners. You are the ones who deserve. You are the ones who have overcome. You deserve the trophy, and I will give you a crown. Right? It's also the same crown that was put on a bride at a wedding. So it's also the picture of, I'm going to crown you as my bride. You're going to be a part of me. <laughs> Powerful. Beautiful. Beautiful picture. But you know, it, it also is redemptive in the form that many of the pagan, many of the pagan followers wore a crown. And yet, it's kind of like the crowns that they would wear of leaves or whatever, but their crown is a perishable crown. And Jesus is telling them that I'm going to give you a crown of life, and, and, and it is an imperishable crown. It is a crown of eternity. It's a crown that lasts forever. And so, what a powerful word that, and, and a redemptive word that he gives them by saying that I will give you a crown of life. Amen. So, last portion. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think that we grasp a hold of what that says. But I hope that we as a Western church, we as an American church, grab a hold of, of these truths. I hope that we can ponder these and, and also, as we disciple others, help them realize, because there's so many who are discipled in a manner that if, if it's not going good for you, then it's not God. And it's such a false teaching. Faith, endurance are things that take place when things aren't going the way they should. It is, when, it is then that our faith has to be extended. It is then that we endure the time. It is then that the testing of our faith proves perfection. And God purifies, sanctifies, and makes us holy. And so I pray that, that the church of Smyrna has made an impact on you. And I'm going to close with just a little story of Polycarp. Polycarp returned from Rome to Smyrna with great persecution. Remember I told you Polycarp was more than likely appointed as the, the head of the church of Smyrna by the Apostle John. And so he had been to Rome and he, had re he was returning from Rome and there was a great persecution. And upon coming to Smyrna, some of his congregation, they loved him enough to say, hey man, you better go hide. <laughs> and he ended up heeding those words and went to a farm and on the farm one night he awoke to a vision of of his pillow being on fire 
And what, he, what was revealed to him is the Lord said you would be burned by the stake. And, and so not very long after that, they had captured one of Polycarp's members and they were torturing him, telling him, we want to know where Polycarp is. They came to him. And, you know, of course, they, they were saying, if you'll just burn a little incense and say Caesar's Lord, nothing will happen. It's over with. But Polycarp would not bow down to that. He was an old, fragile man at this time, 86 years old. Even the police wanted to let him go. They said, man, just leave him alone. He's, look, he's 86 years old. But he, they wouldn't do it. They took him to the arena. And the arena, if you, if you have an opportunity to look up the arena of Smyrna, it was a massive arena. It wasn't some 100-seat you know, sanctuary. Massive. Thousands could sit in this arena. They had... They were literally bringing Christians in and allowing the lions to attack them and, and devour them. Polycarp sat there. One of the, one of the Christians came up and, and they told him that, you know, we're going to let the lions loose on you. And, and, uh, and he did. He, 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 said, he said, no, I, I don't want that to happen. So he burned the incense and he said, you know, hey, Caesar's Lord. But then another one stood up and said, no, I'm not going to do that. And the lions attacked and so on and so forth. They, they brought Polycarp out and, and made a mockery of him, laughed and told him, you know, can you imagine this? They called the Christians the atheists. Isn't that crazy? They called the Christians you know, you atheists, let's get rid of the atheists. Why? Because they didn't believe in their gods. They called them the atheists. Polycarp, they told him, said, why don't you join? Why don't you join them? Get rid of the atheists. Just burn the incense. Say, Jesus is Lord. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. They said, call out the lions. And he said, let it be so. Polycarp, it's, it's recorded of a, a beautiful prayer that he gave. But when they called the lions out, the lions had already gone to a rest. They wouldn't come out. They said, burn him at the stake. And that's when he knew. He knew, yep, this is my time. And so they gathered the wood. They put the stake out, and, 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 they, and they put him in the middle of this. And one historian says that they were going to tie him up like, like they had many others, but he refused. And he stood there without being tied up with his hands behind his back. They lit the fire, and he began to pray. And, and according to Arrhenius, that the fire flew up. I mean, he, he's... I'd love you to read the prayer. It's just a beautiful prayer. But the fire flew up, and he wasn't dead. And so they proclaimed, he's not dead. So they reached in and, and stabbed him. And according to his history, the blood actually put out the fire. He died. <laughs> but not like they thought he would. And he became a testimony rather than a victim because of what happened. Powerful story. He's a, a major martyr uh, and considered a, a saint in the Catholic Church today. I just encourage you guys, stand the test of time. Stand faithful. Don't let the menial words of those around you hinder your faith. Don't let the persecution that we consider persecution, don't let that be so dramatic in your life. 
Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Stand for him. Even if it means, as he encouraged them, even unto death. Because I would rather know that I died for the cause of Christ and, according to this scripture, not be hurt by the second death than to live a life of compromise and wonder if I'll make it in the second death. Amen. Father, I thank you, Jesus, for these letters that you have given us. And I pray that as we are being stirred by the messages that, that you gave to these seven churches, that, that we will take them to heart, that we will evaluate where we are in our relationship with you, that we would be willing to be stirred by your truth and, and be willing to dig deeper into our relationship with you, Lord, that we would not allow this world to conform us into their image, but, Lord, that we may be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may live a life of purpose anointed for you, God, that your glory may be revealed in our community, in our own personal families, and wherever we go. God, we submit ourselves to you. We declare as, as one of your disciples, as for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I went one minute over. Sorry. Yes, sir.